Genuine community. Genuine community is what we are talking about um, uh, for these three weeks. And, you know, Neil was talking about the benefits of community. This morning, the title of my message is Barriers to Community. Barriers to Community. These are things that will keep us from entering into the community that God has for us. You know, the Christian religion is designed and meant to be lived out in community. Um, not only are human beings made for community, but spiritually, our faith was made to be lived communally. You know, we all kind of understand this. My, my kids ha- are playing, two of my, my sons are playing um, Little League right now, and they play at Lakeside National Little League. And I'm a, I'm a pretty engaged, busy person in my life, just here with the church and all kinds of things. So I get a lot of text messages. I have never gotten as many text messages in my life as I do from Lakeside National Little League teams, okay? These families are all in on this, and they are, and this is part of their full-on community. Like, we're kind of, this is our first year playing for Lakeside National, and we go there, and it's like everybody knows each other, and they're high-fiving and talking about the vacation they're going to go on together and what they did last weekend, and this is clearly a community for these guys, right? And, um, and there's something good about that. There's something I think that is wholesome and healthy. We should be involved in community like that, but I'm talking about something different here this morning. I'm talking about distinctly Christian community. It's not just that God wants you to be in community, and you might be play for Lakeside National or have kids in there. You might, um, you know, be in the Rotary Club or have a bowling team or be part of a book club. I'm talking about something deeper and different than that. I'm talking about distinctly Christian community this morning. That is what God has called the church to be. In fact, from the very earliest days of the church, we find Christian community right at the heart of the lived experience of those early believers. One of our theme verses for this series is Acts chapter 2, um, 42 through 47. Neil talked about this last week, but I'm going to read it again. It says they were continually, this is the early church, um, Jesus had just ascended into heaven. They just had the day of Pentecost. These believers had just come together and it said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The Greek word there is koinonia, means communion, community, togetherness, fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. Spiritual things are happening. People are getting saved. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They were, they were living their lives together. They shared all things. They had all things in common. Verse 45, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Let me just put a pin in it for one second. I want to explain that part. It says that the early believers in Jerusalem were all selling their houses, selling their property, and bringing it all into the church and distributing as anyone had needs. Now, you will, can go to church here for your whole life, and no one here will ever ask you to sell your house and bring us the money so we can give it out. I want to explain to you why that is. The early church was doing that specifically here in Jerusalem. But the early church in other places weren't doing that. What, what they knew is that they had been, uh, they'd been given a prophetic um, word that God was going to bring judgment on Israel. And not only were they going to experience a a strong persecution, they were going to have to flee the city of Jerusalem. But in 70 AD, the Roman Empire was going to come in and just lay waste to everything. So if you owned a piece of property or a farm or a house in Jerusalem at this time, in in a few short years, it was going to be worth nothing. And so they had everyone, everyone there was selling their property in order to, to meet everyone's needs. We're not doing that. But all the other stuff in this verse, I think, is incumbent upon us to do. It says, day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple. They were coming together like this and worshiping and had unity in their hearts. It says, they were breaking in bread from house to house. They were sharing meals together and and, and going into each other's homes and, and experiencing that kind of community. 
They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So not only was this community a close-knit group of people, but God was continually bringing in other people who he wanted to invite into the family of God in order to be a part of this church. It's a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ is when they're serving each other and sharing with each other. And they're constantly growing and they're enjoying this supernatural unity and devotion to one another. That is how God has intended church to be experienced. And yet, if many of us were honest this morning, we would say our experience of church is really nothing like this. Many of us would say we, don't, we haven't experienced this kind of fellowship or community at all or anywhere close in our lives. Many of us are just sitting in here this morning as kind of individual people that really aren't bought in or really aren't interwoven into the people of God. One of the challenges specifically of a big church like this is that it'd be easy for people to come here and just come to church, be in anonymity, leave, and never actually know any other people or be known by any other people. We recognized as part of our church early on that our church was going to be a church of home groups. We've always said that. We're not a church with home groups. We're a church of home groups. A home group is just a, a Bible study or a small group of people that are meeting together regularly in order to, to seek God and love each other. This is really important for a big church like this because we recognize that there are certain things that we can't do in this gathered congregation together that, that, we, that we can do in a home group. Okay? We're not going to this morning take prayer requests from everybody. Okay? We would be here till tonight. Um, I'm not actually going to have open this up for questions and answers at any point this, this morning. Okay? If you have a question and you just decide to ask it, like the usher's going to come sit next to you and invite you to go into the lobby. You know, um, That's not really what we're doing here. We're doing something important. We're coming together as the gathered people of God to worship and to get on the same page as far as what we're doing as a church and to, to, to teach and, and understand the word of God. But there's certain things we can't do. You can't share your opinion. You can't say, well, I'm not sure about that. I disagree, or, or here's what I'm going through. I'm struggling with this. If you, don't, if, if you decide not to come this morning, we're not gonna know. There's no way for us to be able to tell across three services in a big church like this, everybody who was here, who wasn't here. But in a home group of 15 people, if you don't show up, people are gonna know. They're gonna know what's going on with you. That so much of the Christian life, of Christian community is designed to be lived out in smaller groups. And so we decided early on, we've said from, from the very beginning that if you have to make a choice between coming to church on Sunday or going to your home group, we say go to your home group. We think that's more important to the vitality of your walk with God than even coming to churches. We think they're both important, but we think that if you have to pick one, pick your home group. What we're saying this morning too is this goes beyond just having Christian friends. Okay, I have lots of Christian friends, but when we hang out together or we watch a baseball game together or we go have dinner, we're not necessarily doing the things the Bible's talking about where we're praying for each other or looking at the word of God or you know, understanding the apostles' teachings or doing those kinds of things. This is distinctly Christian community where we are coming together intentionally to seek God together. That's the kind of community that God wants you to be in. In my own life, I've experienced kind of both sides of it. I've experienced not having community at all, and I've experienced deep enrichment and, and in my walk with God from community. When I first got saved, I had grown up, many of you guys have shared this story before, but I had grown up going to church, um, but I wasn't a Christian. 
And I, I had stopped going to church for a while. And when I was 19, my boss, I was working at Nordstrom, and my boss invited me to come to church here with her and her family. We were meeting over in the other building. And so I came, and I, I've said my experience before was, um, was there's two parts to it. It was really interesting. Right when I walked through the door, um, I sensed the presence of God. I felt a love and something that just it compelled me to come back. I was interested. I wanted to know more. I also felt very uncomfortable. You all struck me as a very weird group of people. Um, uh, there was people raising their hands and closing their eyes. And I was like, I came from a church background with pews and hymnals and stained glass. This was a warehouse building with a bunch of people who seemed like they were underdressed and they were having a very emotional experience. And I was like, this is a cult. But I was like, I, was like, I also kind of like it. So I'm not sure what to, not sure what to do about that. And um, and so that was my first experience. But what happened was for almost a year, I came to this church. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any other Christian influences in my life. And I just would come here and I'd sit in church by myself. I'd come a little bit late. I'd leave a little bit early because I didn't have anybody to talk to. I had no friends here. I didn't know anybody. And I didn't want to walk around looking like I had nobody to talk to. And so I would kind of, that was my experience with the church early on. And my, my growth and my walk with God was very anemic. It was very slow. Is very microscopic. That was until I met some people who invited me to come to home group. I want to tell you, that was, that was almost 25 years ago. And I've been leading that home group almost from, it was, it was probably nine months after I started going to the home group that I got invited to co-lead the home group. And then I have been leading that home group by myself for almost 24 years. And the reason is, is because my walk with God jump-started so fast. I was growing because once I entered into community, I had accountability, I had relationship, I had people that I could look up to. I could say, I want to emulate that. I want to be like that. My walk with God began to happen, began to transform very quickly. I probably haven't grown as much as I did in those early days with the Lord once I got involved in a home group. And so I've, I've come to know what it is to experience the love and power of God, to discover my giftings and my calling, to develop lifelong friendships and accountability. The truth is we're just better together. The Christian life is meant to be lived out together. But if, and, and if community is so good, then, then why is it that so many of us don't understand? I want to I suggest this morning, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach on four attitudes, four barriers, four things that will keep us from entering into really community. Many of us know that community is good for us, but there's things that, that make it kind of us stand at a distance, us hold ourselves back. And I want to talk about what four of those common attitudes are, and then I want to talk about why you should get over it. <laughs> the first thing is this. The first attitude is this, is I don't need it. I don't need it. It's not necessary. It's not a priority. It's an add-on or extra. It doesn't really fit into my schedule. When I was growing up, there was a, um, uh, uh, and my grandma, there were sort of two things you didn't talk about in, 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 um, in company. You didn't talk about politics, and you didn't talk about religion. And, um, and that, those were very private matters. And this is not as true today. People have no problem talking about politics, and they, a lot of people have no problem talking about religion. But to my grandma, who grew up in the South, um, these were two, I, I need to tell you, my grandma loved me better than anyone has ever loved me, okay? My grandma was, uh, was just a fierce advocate of me, and she was great to me. She helped raise me. But I remember one day I asked her, I said, hey, grandma, you, you say you're a Christian, but you don't go to church. How come? And she said, mind your own business. <laughs> this woman was like, she really loved me. But to her, that was a very rude question. To her, you just don't involve yourself with other people's spiritual lives, 
You know, there's actually, this is kind of a byproduct of something you'll hear a lot about in evangelicalism. Sometimes we'll ask, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And in many ways, it's a good question because what we're asking is, are you just culturally a Christian? Do you think you're a Christian because you were born to a Christian family or because you're American or something like that? Or do you personally have a relationship with Jesus, the living God? But there's, there's, a, there's a side of that that sometimes can be a little misleading that somehow we come to think that my relationship with Jesus is personal. It's just between me and him. And listen, that's not biblical Christianity. The, the, the Christianity the Bible talks about is a, is a shared experience. It's not a matter of your personal faith. It's a matter of, of public importance. And so it can be taken some different ways. Another problem that we run into a lot in regards to our walk with God and community is that we increasingly live in isolating times. We increasingly live in a culture where we are like consumers. We, we are able to do so many things from the privacy of our own home, so many things that 20 years ago would have been unthinkable. With the rise of Amazon, you can have car parts or dinner or you know, anything you want delivered right to your doorstep. You never have to leave your house. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you like it, but let me, let me push back on it for a second. <laughs> there's some great things about that, but increasingly, there's some things that are actually dangerous. There's some byproducts that are not good for us spiritually. You know, um, this, is, this was true before the pandemic, but even after the pandemic, man, so many people are not, don't have to leave their house for work, right? They can just put on a, a collared shirt and pajama pants and they can do their whole day on Zoom and have all their meetings. And so increasingly, we don't have real relationships or outside influences with, with our church specifically. When we were going into um, to COVID, we, b- before that, we never streamed our services online. But we had to kind of pivot and make it where some people didn't feel comfortable coming to church. We, we started to stream our services. And so you could just sit at home. And, and one of the reasons that was a difficult decision for us is because we know that if you just sit at home and watch TV, you're not experiencing what God really intends for you to experience in the fullness of, of what it means to be a Christian lived out in the body of Christ. And so, so increasingly, we don't want people to think that I can just kind of take this as, as in other ways and I can experience this the way that we do all these other things. And so we have all these things that are pushing us towards just individualism, and Christianity lived out as our own thing. And you'll see this. People for years will say, um, you know, I have my own relationship with Jesus. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I, don't, I, I read the Bible on my own. I pray for myself. I don't need to go to a church and have somebody tell me, you know, teach me the word of God. And, and I would just say, okay, if you're reading the Bible for yourself, you'd know that the Bible says that's not true. <laughs> right? Because the Bible you're reading for yourself actually says that you need to be in fellowship with other believers. You need to be involved in a church. It kind of comes from this inherent view of suspicion of things like authority and submission, interdependence and community. And yet the Bible has a lot of things to say, you need to be under authority. You need to be in submission. You need to have interdependence. You need to be a part of community. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, like, like baseball. There's, there's some baseball things that you can do on your own. Okay, you can go on your backyard with a glove and throw a baseball up and catch it. You can throw the ball against the wall and catch it. You can throw even the ball up and you can hit it, but you're not playing baseball. The game of baseball was designed to be played with at least nine other people, with a pitcher and a catcher and a first baseman, a second baseman, a shortstop, third baseman, outfielders. And, and baseball played like that is a totally different sport than what the guy's doing in his backyard by himself. It is a dynamic sport. Not only is it more interesting, but it's a whole lot more fun. There's so many more things that are going on, intricacies. 
And so when the person says, when someone says, well, I don't need to go to a church to be a Christian, I want to say, you're just a guy out in the backyard thinking he's playing baseball who's just catching the ball by himself. You're not experiencing what it really is to have the deeper, richer Christian experience. To them, I want to, I want to quote Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. This is talking about the new life that we have put on a new life. We have been created and washed clean, and we are now walking in the knowledge according to the image of the one who, God, the one who created him. So what this is saying is when you become born again, when you become a Christian, here's what that means. Verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. We're gonna come back to that verse in just a couple minutes. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and compassion are all characteristics that are lived out in your experience with other people. You can't express those things on your own. You need to be in relationship and interact with other people. Then it says, bearing with one another. You can't bear with another person if you don't know what it is they're carrying. You can't bear with another person if you don't know what it is, what they're laboring under, what they're struggling with. That comes out in community. It says, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Some of you need more people in your life to forgive. You need to let people, some of you need to let people closer in you so that they can hurt you in order so that you can forgive them. That's true. We tend to think like, I just want to keep people at a distance so they can't hurt me. But that's not how God has called you to live. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. You can't have unity by yourself. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. This whole thing is talking about how you are part of a bigger body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What we are doing right now is, is, is me teaching. It's not what this verse is talking about. It says we need to be in teaching and admonishing each other. This is in a relationship where are there people in your life who, who, who love you and who share your Christian faith who can say, hey, man, I'm concerned about you. I feel like you're not living up to what, we've, what we both believe. I feel like this area of your life, you're falling short. Is there anybody in your life who knows you well enough, who believes the same thing that you believe, that can hold you accountable to that? And that does? You can't get that on your own. That is required to be in relationship, deep, loving, trusting relationship with other people. That's what God has called us to. Paul Tripp said it like this. He said, we weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon God and a loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects. Yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when the people around us point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources that God has given us. For us to really walk in deep community, it requires us to be in relationship with other people. So uh, it, it is necessary. You do need it. It is an essential part of the Christian faith. Without it, you are not experiencing the fullness of the Christian faith. Okay, 
The second barrier, the first is I don't need it. The second barrier is I don't want it. I might need it, but I really don't want it. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I don't belong. I don't fit in. These are really common struggles that that we kind of think that, man, if I can just keep people at arm's length and I don't have to let them close enough to kind of see who I really am. I can present myself in a certain way. I can come to church. I can put on my good clothes. I can put on a smile and I can, I can present myself as a really godly person. But if they got close enough, they might see that the paint is kind of peeling. They might see that there's certain parts of my life that don't add up or don't this is really common. This is, this is a normal thing. I actually have a video I want to show you guys that I think illustrates this point well. Let's go ahead and watch this video. Scandals happen all the time. The question is how do democracies respond to those scandals? Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. The, um, pardon me. My apologies. What is this going to be for the region? My apologies. North, uh, sorry. Um, North Korea, North and South Korea's policy choices on North Korea have been severely limited in the last. This video is amazing. I love it. Um, so just to set this up, this is, this is a few years ago, five or six years ago, there was some, some conflict between North and South Korea at the time. And this guy is a professor who lives in Korea, and his area of expertise is relationships between North and South Korea, okay? So what that means is 99.999% of the time, no one cares about what he has to say, okay? <laughs> Except this is his moment, okay? Things are going bad between North and South Korea, and the BBC has called him to do an interview, okay? So this is his big moment to shine. And I don't know if you noticed, but he's in his bedroom. He's not in an office, but he's trying to present himself as very professional. And so in his bedroom, he hung up a world map, and he hung up, he put some, some books on the bed, you know, to make himself look like, hey, I'm a serious professor. I understand what I'm talking about. This is important. Okay, what's great about this video is that he had this conversation with his wife right before this interview. He said, listen, babe, this is a big deal. I get, you have one job, just keep the kids on the other side of the house, okay? And what you might not have noticed when his wife came in is that her pants were unbuttoned, okay? So what that means is he's doing his interview, but she has to go pee, okay? So if you have little kids, you know that in one bathroom break, how much terror can be unleashed, okay? So She's like, it'll probably be fine. She goes to the bathroom and all of a sudden his daughter's like, I'm gonna go see what dad's doing, you know? So she marches in there and she goes to check in on dad. Little scooter kid comes behind her. And then it's great. The, the, the mom realizes what's happened. And so she flies in and she's hoping that she is out of, out of screen, right? That it's zoomed in on dad and I can grab to collect these kids and get out of there and close the door. Nope, like everything is caught and, and the entire thing is amazing. This, this, this video went viral and this guy was like, okay, I'm gonna become known as the expert on South Korea. And he got become known for something totally different than that um, as the guy whose, whose life was like breaking in. And it's so cute. It works out great. But you know, so, so, so many of us spend our life trying to do what he was doing. We try, to, we try to put the books right. We try to clean everything up, make ourselves look really good. And yet real life isn't matching up with what we're trying to present. And, and listen, that might be, uh, it's understandable for this guy. He's a professional, but it's a really terrible life, a really terrible way to live your life. It's a really terrible way to try to do community. 
to try to present yourself in one way, but reality is different. God wants to deal with the authentic you. Our, our, our theme for this, um, this series is genuine community. We don't want some fake version of, of you. God doesn't want some fake presented, cleaned up version of you. He wants what's true. He wants what's real. The only way to real wholeness and real growth is when we are authentic and honest about what's going on in our lives. It says, 1 John 1, 7 through 9, it says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus describes the walk with him as walking in the light. But if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is people who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm great. I'm wonderful. I'm so cleaned up. They try to present themselves as self-righteous. God says that if you believe that about yourself, if you try to present yourself as sinless, the truth of God is not in you. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not esteeming ourselves as better than anybody else, not pretending at sinlessness, not presenting some false version of ourselves, but walking in the light, confessing our need of forgiveness, our own insufficiency, our own helplessness that is connected to our fellowship with one another. You know, I remember back in those, those days when I first started coming to church, one of the things that was hard for me was I felt very out of place here. I felt like I was sitting in a congregation full of super Christians. Like just, oh, like these people were just really a totally different life. Like they'd all just come in from feeding the homeless, you know, and when they walk down the street, like little children and animals run up to them because they just exude the presence of God. I mean, this, I just felt like, man, these people are totally different than I am. If they knew what was really going on in my mind, they would all be very disappointed in me. What, what I came to realize over time was that, was one, one that was just kind of my own fear of myself, and that I was actually in a congregation full of a lot of other people who were struggling with similar things. But, but there's some ways that, that we can sometimes, you know, kind of, do the Christian thing where we put on our Christian face and we speak our Christian language and, and all it does is make people feel like they don't belong. It's, it's inauthentic. But you know, some, there, one of the realities is there are people here who have been really rescued and saved by God and have been walking with God for a long time and they've reached a level of, of real Christian maturity. And, and, and so I never felt that from those people because the closer you get to God, the more you realize, man, I'm just, the, the more your sin recognizes as I'm just a, a really wretched person who has been saved by the grace of God. There's something contagious about that. It's like the, the, the old Christian phrase that the gospel is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the good bread. When the, the more you grow in your walk with God, the more you realize, man, I, I have not done anything of myself to attain this, but it's been the gift of God in my life. And, and it makes us want to share that and want to give it away. but sometimes it does require us to push past that feeling of awkwardness. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a group of Christians and I've just looked around and thought, I have nothing in common with these people. The only thing we have in common is our Christian faith. Well, I wanna go back and I wanna say that that's part of the design. That, that verse we had skipped over before in Colossians 3, verse 11, it says, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. You know, some people treat church like it's a, like it's a uh, you know, they wanna find a church that, with people that are just like them. 
You know, uh, people that are, that are, that are white-collar and upper-class, or people that are blue-collar and working-class, or, or they, they want to find a white church or a black church or a Hispanic church. A church with, with people that, that look like them and act like them. So there's this whole self-selection process that oftentimes happens on Sunday mornings. But look, that, the, the picture that the Bible gives of the church is, is an eclectic group of people from every walk of life, from every class, from every tongue, from every nation, people from all walks of life. Because they're people, barbarians and Scythians and freemen and slaves, people from, from everywhere because God has called them to be under the banner of Christ. Born again, and, and as I've looked over the years at some of those groups of people that I didn't feel like we had much in common, some of those people I didn't have anything in common with have become some of the most important people in my life. They're people that have encouraged me and strengthened my walk with God and, and, and spoken important things in my life. So stop waiting for just the perfect group, the perfect time, the perfect people for you to feel totally comfortable and, and at home somewhere. You don't need that. You just need to take a step you look, deep relationship takes time. It requires trust, and, and trust takes time and experience with people. You know, it, it reminds me of that, that old proverb that when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the next best time to plant a tree? Today. You might not have some of those deep relationships. Sometimes you go into a group and you feel like, man, all these people know each other. They all have inside jokes. They, they, they've known each other for years, and I don't feel like I fit in as well. Well, I, I want to say some of that relationship has just gotten built over time. And, and, and for you to have that kind of relationship, you're going to have to start putting in time. And you might have to feel uncomfortable. You might have to feel awkward. When I first went to home group, I certainly felt uncomfortable and awkward. But those people loved me. Now, I've, I've led that home group now for 24 years. Those people became my people. Those are the people who are going to visit you when you're in the hospital. When you have something happen in your life, they're going to set up meals for you. They're going to help you. They're going to support you. They're going to be praying for you, but it requires you to show up. It requires you to, to become a part of it. So quit waiting. It's time to jump in. That's what we're trying to do with this series is create an opportunity for you to get involved in community. So the truth is you do want it. It might feel uncomfortable at first, but you do want it. The first barrier was I don't, I don't need it. The second barrier is I don't want it. The third barrier is the question, what am I going to get out of it? That's an attitude that just asks, what, what's in it for me? And I want to suggest that that might be the wrong question because a lot of times when we think about being in a home group or we think about being in a small group, a lot of times the question we ask ourselves is, is, is it going to be worth it, right? We're all busy people. You get home from work on a weeknight and you've got laundry to do and you've got dinner to make and you've got all the things you have to do. And a lot of times you say, well, if I go to home group, it's going to be worth it. And one of the things you're asking, let's say you come to my home group, is you're asking, is Mike's sermon going to be good enough for me to miss all this stuff and be behind on these other things? Or I could stay home, I could do the laundry, I could make dinner, I could put in some earphones, I could go on YouTube and listen to a real pastor, and bing, bang, boom, I did it, I got it all. I want to suggest that what am I going to get out of it? It's the wrong question. Many of us need to start asking, what do I have to give? This is a question too few of us ask. In my experience over the years, the question, what do I have to give, is really important. Some people think they don't have anything to give. And I want to say, that's blasphemy. You're going against what the Bible teaches because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, where the entire chapter, chapter 12 is about all of this, but it's summed up in verse 7. It says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
What that means is every single person in this room who is made in the image of God has a specific spiritual manifestation given to them by God, a gift, a strength, something that God has given you, and that thing is not for you. It is for the common good. It is meant to be given away. And so God has designed you. And so what happens is if you're not involved with other Christians, you are stealing your gift that God wants to give them because you're withholding it. Like 14 of you, I think we're clapping. Here's the, here's the deal. No, 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 It's too late for that. It's too late for that. It's beneath us now. Um, what, what I want to say is, look, look, my gifting is somewhere along the lines of, of teaching and leadership, okay? But you might not have that same gifting. In fact, many of you don't. You don't ever want to lead a Bible study in front of a bunch of people. You don't want to speak in front of a bunch of people at all. But you have a different gifting. Maybe your gifting is hospitality. Maybe it's service. Maybe it's help. Maybe it's just making people feel welcome and loved. Maybe it's asking questions. Maybe your gift is, is, is you work really well with individual people with, with mentoring your discipleship. Look, all of us have some kind of gift. And even if you don't know what it is, one of the ways you find out what it is is by getting involved in community, getting involved in groups where you can begin to understand and express your gifting. But God has given you something, and it's not for you. It is for the common good. Community is as much, if not more, about what do I have to give. If you're not willing to make other people a priority, if you're not willing to care about other people's walk with the Lord, you will never experience in the deep level of community that God has for you. It is, much, it is about much more than just what's in it for you. It's about God's design for you to walk out with them. So the third Attitude is, what am I going to get out of it? The fourth barrier, the fourth attitude is, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too painful. This is for people primarily who have experienced church hurt. At some point in your life, you've, you've been in a community. You've, you've connected with other people, and, and, and to some level, some degree, and it didn't go well. You know, I said earlier, this is a big church, and it's easy to be anonymous. Some of you picked this church for that reason, you know enough about God to know you need to be in church on Sundays. But you also know enough about church to know you don't want to put yourself in a spot where you can get hurt again. And so you come to this church and you just kind of sit back and you never really engage, you never really lean in to the community, the body of Christ. And I want to say, listen, um, a church hurt is a big deal. There's a lot of people who have experienced a lot of pain from being in a church and getting burned for some reason or another. And, and that can span a whole spectrum. And I, I don't wanna, part of that spectrum over here is, is abuse and really damnable things that I don't wanna make any excuse for. But I wanna say that, that many of the things we experience in church, the, the feelings of putting yourself out there and it not becoming, not being reciprocated, being rejected or being hurt, being betrayed or abandoned, judged or spurned. I wanna suggest that some of those things there might be a different way to look at them. Some of those things are a design feature. They're not a bug. It's actually part of what it means to be in community. I had said earlier at the beginning that some of you need more people in your life to forgive. I mean that because part of the walk with the Lord is that God uses relationships in order to refine us. Right? So it's like the person asks God, God, why does the sandpaper have to be so rough? And he says, because I want the wood to be so smooth. 
right? He's doing something in those, in those relationships, sometimes in many difficult relationships, he's doing something in us in order to, to, to sculpt us and to change us and to, to cause us to grow into who he wants us to be. I mean, just in my own walk, in my, my, my marriage, I married, my wife's name is Hannah Vameter. She is a saint. She is a wonderful woman. She's, she's in so many ways perfect for me. And I know that's what you're supposed to say when you talk about your wife in public, but it really is true about her. She really has a great attitude. She is easy. She, she's forgiving. She wants to get along. And I'm not always an easy person to get along with. And she is very kind. And yet, we also marriage, as easy as it is and comparatively, we have what, what you'd call an easy marriage. We get along easily and a lot. But it's also hard. Because, man, when you are just in that close of relationship with another person, when you are working so closely with another, you know, we have six kids, we are always working, right? There's, there's so easy for little offenses to happen, little cuts, little annoyances, little sins, little frustrations. And man, those things are, are in there. But what I want to suggest is, is one of the things that God is doing is he's using my marriage. He's using those things to shape me. He's using those things to deal with things inside of me. You know, how many times in the Bible does God say that, that our forgiveness is, with him is connected to our forgiveness of other people? He, he's saying that for a reason. He, one of the things he's saying is, is, you know how that person, how you were hurt by that person, you're frustrated with that person, that person is not done right, they haven't acted right? That's how I feel about you a lot of times. How many times have you offended me? How many times, God, look, God knows you better than to think that you are just this sweet little thing that he loves all the time. He knows all the wicked stuff you do. He knows all the bad. Everything you've ever done in the dark is done in the broad daylight before him. There's nothing hidden from his sight. And yet, how does he deal with you? He deals with you as a son or a daughter. He loves you. He deals with you tenderly, full of compassion, loving kindness and mercy. His heart is for you. He's saying that same way that I deal with you when you do your knucklehead things that, that bother me, I want you to deal with other people that way. I want you to learn how to put on Christ. I want you to learn how to, to put on what it means to be a, a person who is, who is forgiving and loving and tenderhearted like their heavenly father is. You can only do that in deep community with other people. And so, so the answer sometimes when you get hurt is not to escape, it's not to go away. God is not, is not looking for your life to be easy in fact, he promised you the Christian life will be difficult. It's, it's, it says in, in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. What it, what it says, it's a, gently, it's a gently downhill slope, wide and easy path that leads to destruction. But it says the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and there are few who find it. It's a struggle the Christian walk. And so listen, this is what our, our whole, I want to invite the band out here. I want to tell you our whole mission with, um, with this, uh, this series is to really ask you to get involved in a home group or get plugged into the body of Christ in some deeper way. But as, as we're saying that, I want to tell you, um, if you get involved in a home group and you come back to me in six months and say, hey man, I, I did that. I got involved in a home group. I've been going for six months. And I just want to tell you, those people are jerks. I want to tell you, I already know that, okay? There's, this room is full of jerks, okay? One of them's talking to you. Like, like all of us, you, you probably, this is probably not new information, but you are gonna get offended by something. 
You are going to get burned. And, and, and so if you come back in six months and say, hey, I, those people are frustrating. I'm going to say, I know, I told you that. I want you to remember this right at the end of the sermon. I told you that. I knew. Because that's part of what God is doing in you. It's part of how God has strengthened you. It's part of how God is making you into who he wants you to be. It's part of how he's deepening your life and he's making you a more godly person, a more spiritual person. Somebody who has had to learn to walk by faith and had to learn to trust God, to work to maintain unity, to overlook offenses, to bear with one another. He's producing godly character in you. He only does that when you're in community. You can't do that at home watching church online. You can't do it just sitting here in church on service like I was and, and, and leave right at the end so you don't have to talk to anybody else. He does it in, in relationship community. So here's how, we're, here's how we're gonna do that. We've got a series coming up um, in our home group. So next week, Dave's gonna end our series on community. And then the week after that, Pastor Mark's gonna teach on the importance of devotional life. And we're gonna start a series of, depending on which home group you go to, four to six weeks um, in his book, um, uh, Eating from the Tree of Life. And just going to go through some of the, the lessons of devotional life and how to live a devotional life in your home groups. We want to ask that everybody in our church would be plugged in to a home group and just go for that series. Just, just check it out and commit yourself to going for that series, okay? Um, we have to, uh, we, outside this door or these doors, if you, if you go behind that wall, there is a home group board. It talks about all the different home groups, uh, a day of the week that might work for you. We have over 50 um, uh, a, part of the, a part of the city you might want to go to, any of that kind of stuff you can learn. There's also home group pastors that are right outside these doors this, uh, this morning. They would love to get to know you. They want to just talk to you and share with you about their home group and invite you to their home group. So I encourage you, don't just leave and go to your car. Go and talk to one of them. If you're already plugged into a home group, you have a different assignment. Your job is to invite somebody else to your home group. We really are trying to get everybody involved. And, and the ask is this, is that you, for those four weeks, you would go to that home group. And if at the end of the four weeks, if you don't want to go anymore, just keep going. Like for the rest of your life, okay? Just keep going. If you like it, then awesome. You get to like the thing you have to do now for the rest of your life, you know? Like it's a win-win. If you don't, win-loss, uh, but still go, okay? Get plugged into a home group. Check it out. Um, we can also look on our app. Um, the Foothills app, you can download if you don't have it. That's going to increasingly become one of the ways we're going to communicate with you guys. So um, over the next few months, we'll roll that out. But on there, you can find all the home groups in the church. It'll give you maps. It'll tell you what time they meet. It'll give you the phone number, the person to call. Say, hey, I want to make sure this is all working out. Make sure you guys check that out and really be willing to take that step of faith. Would you stand to your feet?